Hello, everybody. Megazone X here. Back at it again to give you another podcast episode, giving you my Zarcast episode 42. Now, not a whole bunch has happened lately, I guess, since the last time I did my episode 41, though. But just enough to where I got some interesting topics to talk about that we got within the past couple of weeks or so, though. So it should be fairly interesting, though. Some shocking stuff. Like, you got some stuff on the movie front. Like, we got a Deadpool 3 that was just announced, um, funny enough. Then we got the Super Mario movie uh, teaser date revealed. So I kind of want to kind of set my predictions or expectations of what we might possibly get in that. And then jump to the gaming news side of things. Uh, got... Got one bit, uh, we got one little interesting little bit of information how like Sony could possibly be releasing a detachable disk drive for the PlayStation 5. So I was like, okay, that that, that in itself, I was like, okay, I, I got some thoughts on that though. Um, Google Stadia, big thing right there. Uh, they actually managed to shut down or they're gonna shut down by the beginning of January 2023. So I got some thoughts on that though, and then also I got my Splatoon 3. Um, review which i've been playing the game i think it's been out for roughly oh if i look back here at the calendar um it, it's been out for almost a few weeks now so i gotta get, get my thoughts on that and then a couple other things here and there along with the show though so honestly um quite a bit of interesting topics tonight though but let's not dilly dally and let's go ahead and jump up into the thick of it though so without any further ado let's go ahead and jump up straight into that pop culture segment I psyched y'all out. No, that's not the pop culture segment entry. Well, this is the pop culture one. Alright, so first up on the list, uh, we got the confirmation that Deadpool 3 is going to be coming out in the year of 2024. It was interesting because at first it was weird because normally with a movie like this, Typically, you know, Marvel Studios, since, you know, now that we know that they're trying to incorporate, you know, some of those mutants and other kind of things that we got within the Marvel universe as a whole into the MCU, we knew that they were going to do this for Deadpool 3 eventually, though. But it's weird how Marvel Studios didn't actually put this out as like a trailer or just a JPEG or something like that. No, they literally had the actor of Deadpool just chilling out, just kind of talking to everybody. And he's like, all right, I got some ideas for Deadpool 3. And it ain't happening. And then you see the, the actor for Wolverine walk in the background and say, hey, you want to be in the movie? He's like, all right, count me in. And that's literally the teaser trailer for, or it's not even like a trailer, like a teaser for Deadpool 3 officially coming within the MCU. And it's going to be happening in the year 2024. That's, I think it's the year before the Avengers movie comes, um, the Avenger movies come out, because that comes out in 2025. With like the Kong Dynasty Avenger movie, though. So it's basically gonna come out in phase five, essentially, was where we're gonna be at at that moment, though. So honestly, really looking forward to this, though. I know a lot of people kind of have their thoughts like, hmm, is this actually gonna be a movie that's gonna be rated R, like some of the previous first two movies, or is it actually gonna be um, PG 13? And for like the hardcore Deadpool fans, they wanted to keep the rated R thing, though. But if we're putting it in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I was like, man, are they really going to be able to actually uphold that um that rating for the rating R instead of the PG-13? I'm not entirely sure. But I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting nonetheless. So I, I'm looking forward to it. I think 
watched the actual first two. Maybe now I actually will just sit down and just watch it, kind of see where they're coming from, though. Because they're going to pull, like, some kind of interesting twist to explain how he's in here and how, even though the first two movies don't count as part of it, they might pull some foundational stuff from it because I doubt they're going to completely, you know, rebuild the character from the ground up. Kind of like how Spider-Man, how we all knew Spider-Man's origin story. So they were just able to kind of put him there um, literally in the middle of Captain America's Civil War. That's the way I'm thinking that they're going to basically incorporate him up into this, though. But yeah, nonetheless... Really cool, exciting announcement. One more movie to stick up in there, though, um, for the year 2024, though. So very curious to see how this is going to play out, though. But that's basically all I have to say on that Deadpool announcement, though. Now, talking about one other movie, and this is the last of my pop culture segment topics, uh, we did get the release date for a teaser trailer for the Super Mario Brothers movie. Now, this right here, I'm like, oh my goodness, people are going to be... I ain't gonna lie, people are kind of skeptical. It's like, dang, is this gonna be good? Is it even gonna be a trailer? Are you gonna have Chris Pat literally say, it's me, Mario, or something like generic or whatnot, though? I, I mean, I don't know what to actually expect, though. But that movie, or or not that movie, but that teaser trailer, it is supposed to ooh, be teased on October the 6th. So not too much longer from here. It's literally gonna be this week. I'm recording this on a Sunday and whatnot, though. And then I guess the teaser trailer is going to drop out on October the 6th on that Thursday. So four days away, and we're going to get this teaser trailer out. And I'm just going to keep it real with y'all. I'm, I'm going to lay it out right here. Here's my expectation. This movie is being made by Illumination, overseas by, you know, Nintendo, Miyamoto himself, all that stuff, all that jazz. I'm expecting they're going to show you, like, the overworld they're, they're going to kind of show you kind of where we're at, whether if it's going to be like Mario in the real world or Mario in his actual, you know, Mushroom Kingdom or something like that. They're going to start off in the Mushroom Kingdom and then he's going to have him jump into or we're going to go down in the warp pipe. We're going to pop out in like a real world setting. It'd be kind of cool if they reference New Donk City, like if Mario took place in New York. You know what? Call it now. I'm calling it now. This Mario movie is taking place in New York. I don't know if they're going to make the, the references with New Donk City, but that's just my prediction. Anyway, they're going to do that. They're going to show you all a whole bunch of different um things with different characters, different settings and stuff. But at the very end, we'll get like a quick glimpse of Mario and he will literally say a few words and that will be it. And that's going to be the teaser. So go ahead, put the pen and the pencil down. That's all I'm expecting out of this teaser trailer. Nothing too crazy, though, but it will blow up on, on social media, though, because, gosh dang it, Chris Pat is Mario. If we get Jack Black at least saying a few words for Bowser, though, holy shoot, this is going to be lit. Oh, my gosh. I know some people think it's going to be cheesy or bad or whatnot, though, but honestly, I don't know. I was like, I, one way or the other, this movie's going to be good regardless. I'm just going to leave it at that. I'll just leave it at that, though. But honestly, that's just my overall expectations. I guess in the next podcast episode, we'll have the teaser trailer out. So then I'll probably have to break it down again, exactly what we got, what I can expect, and where the movie might basically move forward towards with us actually getting the movie next year and what to kind of expect based on the teaser trailer and whatnot, though. So really looking forward to it, though. Four days away from now. And, uh, oh, shoot. It's going to be good. It's got to be good. All righty. But yeah, so that's basically it in terms of my pop culture segments, though. So let's go ahead and switch over to that gaming news. 
right, so starting things off, we do have a little bit of news in the rumor mill. Yes, it does kind of seem like there's going to be possibly, it's just a rumor, but possibly a Persona 3 remake on the horizon. Now, some of y'all might be thinking, all right, we already got Persona um, 5 Royal confirmed coming out to like Switch, Xbox, all of that kind of stuff. We got Persona 4 Golden coming out to Switch, Xbox, all that stuff, and Persona 3 Portable as well, though. So it kind of makes you scratch your head like, wait, why would there be a remake with a portable version already coming out? And I think the main reason is there's no real definitive um, way to actually play Persona 3. It's like original Persona 3, and I think Feds had the animated cutscenes. Persona 3 Portable did not have the animated cutscenes. However, Persona 3 Portable had the inclusion of the female protagonist, which you didn't have in Persona 3 or Fez. And thus you had, you know, extra different interactions with it, being a female character and stuff like that. Obviously, there's no animated cutscenes in Portable because now you got the male and female, and I guess it just decided not to put those animated cutscenes in there, though. But then they got, like, different OST, you know, musical tracks if you play as the female character, though. So, literally, the and then it's like, but then you got the uh, light novel-ish kind of looking setting in Portable, but you get, like, a little bit of an overall travel, not as crazy as, like, 4 Golden or Persona 5 Royal, but it is a little bit limited, but it is a pop, uh, it's technically there. So there's like an advantage for every single one of these iterations of Persona 3. And it would make sense for them to make a definitive way to do this. Because I think this game is almost running about 15 years old, at least at this point, though. So I think that would be the main reason why they might possibly want to actually, you know, remake this game, though. However, this rumor comes from a reset error user called, oh gosh, this name though, Loli 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 Loli, I don't know. It's literally L O L I L O L A A I L O. However, you want to pronounce that name. So Loli Loli, who correctly leaked the news regarding Atlas bringing Persona to Xbox Game Pass last year. And according to him, the project is independent of the Persona 3 Portable Remaster. And the Persona 3 remake will be like Persona 5 um, in terms of both the visuals and the quality of life features. And both games are said to share on um, the same graphics engine, though. So if this rumor happens to be true, then that would mean technically that we'll have Persona 3 a remake coming as well as a potential Persona 6 Whenever they do want to announce that, because we know that we're going through the like their anniversary stuff, at least right now at the moment, though. So it's kind of interesting if we will actually get this um, rumored remake or possibly not, though. But I would love them to actually do this because if there was some type of, you know, credibility and we actually did get this. I probably I don't know if I still would pick up Persona 3 Portable. Maybe I would. I don't know. But I would definitely play Persona 4 Golden. And I'll hold off on Persona 3 until we get this remake. Because if they make a remake akin to Persona 5, oh, heck yes. Like, that would be amazing right there. Then you'll probably get your male, your female protagonist, all that kind of good stuff. The animated cutscenes probably added a bit more or whatnot, though. So, yeah. So, honestly, that would be some really cool stuff. I mean, yes, it's still a rumor at the end of the day, though. But if this one person that has brought this kind of little bit of news up, if he happens to be remotely right, Oh, man, we're in for a good time right here, though. 
but yeah, so that's basically all I have to say on the Persona 3 remake rumor, though. Next up, Google Stadia. Google Stadia has officially put out a statement saying that, you know what? They are shutting down business. They're shutting down for camp. And that's basically going to be the very end of all of that, though. And for some people, it was kind of shocking. To other people, maybe not so much. But um, this is what they literally said up here, at least in their press release thing right here. Let me go ahead and pull it up, though. For many years, Google has invested across multiple aspects of gaming industry. We have developers build and distribute gaming apps on the Google Play and Google Play games. Um, gaming creators and reaching an audience around the world on YouTube through videos, live streaming, and shorts. And our cloud streaming technology delivers immersed gameplay at massive scale. A few years ago, obviously, I'm going to start summarizing and paraphrasing a little bit, though. Um, they launched a consumer gaming device called Stadia. And they were hoping that basically they could stream games directly to you via, you know, what are you doing on your laptop, PC, or if you have like one of them Chromecasts and you can actually just play it straight off your TV that way, though. And they were grateful and dedicated for the Stadia players who have basically invested it on all of this time, though. But unfortunately, they're going to have to shut this down. And basically, they're going to be refunding everybody that has purchased any kind of hardware or software it's all going to go back to you as a big massive refund though and they're hoping to kind of push all of those refunds out by mid-january though however you're still able to play everything within your google stadia library through january 18th so you can complete your final playstations yada 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 though now the underlying technology uh, um that's using this platform that power stadia has been proven at a scale and transcends gaming we see clear opportunities to apply this technology across other parts of Google, like YouTube. And obviously, they'll try to put it into Google Play as well. Though. For the Stadia team, building and supporting Stadia from the ground has been fueled by some passion for gamers and our players have. Um, many of the Stadium team members will be carrying this work forward in other parts of the company. And we're so grateful to the ground um, groundbreaking work that our team that's putting it thus far and we look forward to continuing to have an impact across gaming and other industries using the foundational stadium streaming technology and that's basically what they said in a nutshell though and i'm like what the actual heck literally if you go back and look at google's track record or their history or whatnot remember google plus that was a thing and they have like a lot of different other projects things that they were kind of going through and doing and it always seems like Google, when they start something, it looks good in concept or in theory, but they're never able to actually execute it, mainly because they got like a whole bunch of money they can just chunk at it. And they're kind of like, they got like a bunch of ideas, a bunch of darts thrown at a dartboard, and they're kind of seeing exactly which one sticks. I mean, YouTube was successful, the Google searching and all of that stuff. I mean, Google Play Store for their mobile stuff and whatnot. So, like they got certain good things, your Google Drive, whatever you want to do, though. But in terms of like stuff like this, you kind of was wondering whether or not it was actually going to be super successful. At least me, personally, I remember trying this out. And I think I had Steam World Doug 2 or something like Steam World Dig. I think I had that on Google Stadia or whatnot, though. And um, I tried it out. It was okay. It's better than, like, for example, playing a cloud game like on a Nintendo Switch or something like that, though. I mean, if you had the fast internet, it's not that bad. 
But for a lot of people, it's just not there yet. And I know that we're trying to move the, or people are trying to, it's not like, so say the consumers themselves though, but we know that at least the developers, publishers, people in the gaming industry, they're trying to push us from physical goods to digital. And, you know, a lot of people really like digital though, but the next step would technically be from digital to a streamable. And a lot of people are kind of opposed to that, hence because you don't get to actually own the game. It won't be like a localized native version that's actually running on your hardware or gaming platform of choice that you currently own. And it just makes people kind of feel a little bit of mix, especially when you got a bunch of rural areas and stuff. Internet, you know, internet speeds kind of vary away from region to region. I just feel like we might head towards that future, but I just think that we aren't quite there just yet, though. I mean, Google stated in practice, if you had really good internet, there was really nothing wrong with it, though. But I think it was the execution and all that stuff. Like, they had, like, a bunch of promises what they were going to do with Google Stadia. Like, remember that one where they said, hey, you can be playing, or you can see one of your streamers playing something on YouTube, and you could just hit, like, one little button, and you could jump straight up into them, launch Google Stadia, and play with them while they're streaming it to YouTube. They had ideas like that that they never actually brought to fruition or whatnot, though. Remember, they had first-party studios for um, for Stadia, and then they shut that mess down like midway between these like few years that Google Stadia was running. And the moment that we saw that, I was like, well, shoot, it's not going to probably be much longer until they just go ahead and shut down this whole thing, hence where we are right now today. Because a lot of people, a lot of people may not like, you know, first, I mean, not, not first party. A lot of people might not like exclusive games because it kind of forces you to buy another console or whatever, though. But if you're trying to offer up a whole nother system, another service or whatever, though, and you don't have exclusives, people are just going to go to wherever they have the, the strongest affinity towards games. Like, it literally reminds me of when I wanted to either get a potentially a PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series X um, when those consoles drop. And I was like, I'm literally going to go to the PlayStation 5 because Xbox didn't have a lot of exclusives that I really gravitated towards while PlayStation, on the other hand, they had the Spider-Man games, they have Ratchet and Clank and Ghost of Tsushima was actually looking fairly interesting to me. And I was like, Hey, just those little few things automatically push me over there. Cause also you got exclusive, like the Final Fantasy seven remake series and all that stuff. Most of my, you know, big budget RPGs and stuff like that, that normally goes towards PlayStation. So hence it made my decision to make getting a PS5 way easier than getting something like an Xbox um, console like my cousin has and whatnot. So exclusives always helps gravitates and brings audiences towards your thing. If you would have like a groundbreaking game that was scored high on the 90s and Metacritic and whatnot though, that might have actually turned a bunch of eyes towards Stadia though. But I don't know. It was just built upon broken promises. They didn't execute well. Just a whole a plethora of different issues shutting down the first party studios. I mean, I mean, you can't do all of that and expect it to be successful. Despite how much money you have, it didn't seem like a lot of people had like a lot of experience within the gaming industry. They just had the tech to basically push that forward. So that's where we're at right now. You don't have much longer to have Stadia going on. There's other things like Luna, which I shoot, I can't even remember the last thing that they said about Luna, Amazon streaming service thing, whatnot, though. Now, will this affect the whole streamable future? In a way, yes, to where not a lot of people will take advantage of it right now outside of Xbox with them doing their cloud gaming. But at least with that, it's an option. You can still play those games that you own 
via digital or physically on either like your PC or your Xbox system or whatnot, though. So yeah, using that as a substituting item, that feels pretty good on in you know, pretty good in my book though. But whereas the in all be all the only way how you can do it and you don't technically own own the games. I don't know. So for whoever is going to basically do this um, kind of platform here in the future, they're going to have to come out with a whole bunch of guidelines and stuff like that in terms of what will happen if it catches on, what happens if it doesn't catch it on. Is there a way to actually own your games? Is there a way how to actually get your save data, which huh, getting save data off of um, Google Stadia, that's going to be a headache in itself right there. So I'm like, oh, shoot, though. But yep, that's pretty much all I had to say, at least on Google Stadia shutting down. We got to the, the beginning of 2023, and then that will be it for Stadia, though. But y'all got to let me know in the comments or just at me on Twitter or whatnot, though. Do you own a bunch of Stadia games? Are you going to get that big paycheck? Uh, I say paycheck. going to get that big check from um, Google for that big refund for all the games you might have potentially owned on Stadia? Uh, let me know about all of that, though. So yeah, that's basically it on that. Now, the last topic that I have for the gaming news is apparently um, there might be some talks of Sony releasing a new detachable disk drive for the PlayStation 5. We already got a couple of iterations with it, with stuff, you know, with them shrinking different parts or substituting different parts out within the PS5, baking it like almost 300 grams lighter or whatnot, though. We got like little small minor iterations of that so far. But outside of that, you had the, the disk drive version of the PlayStation 5. And then the digital version of the PS5 currently right now at the market, though. Now, it's going to be interesting because let's say if this rumor is true about them potentially releasing a diskless drive. Well, then at that point, you really I think Sony at that point will literally only sell the PlayStation 5. The, the digital version, and then they'll let you go ahead and buy the attachable disk drive detachable disk drive either separately after the fact like if you own it you wanted to get one so you can get physical media you go back and buy it separately or you buy the bundle that has the digital version of the console and then has the the little detachable disk drive with it attached in the box as well costs the same amount of money the 500 bucks um that you normally will pay for for the regular disk drive though it would be interesting because it actually kind of allows you to get into the scene a little easier like you'll pay the 400 bucks you can enjoy playing your games digitally for a period of time maybe then you want to get a physical um physical drive so that way you can actually play physical media and whatnot though and then you can go ahead and uh buy that on the side and then you know it's only next 100 bucks at that point so a lot, a lot of people to get into it a little bit easier though but it would be one more thing to kind of wane people away from um, physical media because I have a feeling that the PlayStation 6, it could be really interesting because it could be that generation where they say, hey, we're going all digital, which it will kind of suck because, I mean, I kind of like having those games physically, especially the fact that with the PlayStation 5 or PlayStation General, I think it also applies to the Xbox um, series as well, though. You literally stick the disc in. It has to download the thing as if like it's now a digital copy on the thing. And you still have to have the disc in the console for it to recognize that you still own it. But it's technically already digitally downloaded to your console. And that's the way how it does. It doesn't actually read off of um, the disc itself. I'm like, for example, like with the Nintendo system with the Wii U, if you stuck a disc up in there or the Nintendo Switch when you stick the cartridge off of there, it's actually just reading off of there. So it's not like you have to actually 
download that game from the physical media straight onto your console, which that always perturbs me. Hence why I actually managed to buy a solid state drive that stuck in my PS5 that expanded it with an extra two terabytes. Cause holy shoot, if you want to have all your games potentially playable at any given moment, you're going to have to expand that disk drive or not the disk drive that, um, that storage space. And even then I probably will max it out at some point and then I have to choose which games I want to have on there or not. So, yeah, so honestly, I mean, obviously you can always use like a, a regular hard drive, but while it can store PS4 and PS5 games, it can only run PS4 games off of there. PS5 is its only storage. You have to basically re-download it or install it back on the actual console itself, though, on one of the solid state drives. But yeah, not too much to this story, though. It's still kind of in the rumor-ish mill, but if it were to come true, it's going to make things a little interesting because I feel like Sony is definitely trying to push us away from the physical media, and this will just be one step closer towards it. I mean, right now we already got a digital, I mean, digital, digital and a physical console right down, though. So, yeah, that's basically all I have to say on that possible detachable disk drive from the PlayStation 5 that could come out potentially next year in 2023. Now, that's basically it in terms of all the gaming topics that I have to talk about today. So now let's go ahead and talk about, so about that show. All right, so for about that show, lately, I'm trying to think of the stuff. I'm, there's like one primary thing that I've been watching here lately, and that has been primarily me going through and actually deciding to watch all the Simpsons episodes because lately I already released a video on this though, but I went through and bought a Simpsons arcade one-up cabinet for like literally it was kind of close to 200 bucks because it was on sale and whatnot though. So honestly, it was a really good deal. I was playing through that and finally managed to actually go through and beat that arcade game for good. And I was like, yes, I was like, cause man, I always wanted to beat that as a child literally spent like $10 worth of quarters up on that thing, got very close to the end and could never beat it. Now I finally accomplished that. So I feel pretty good on the Simpsons arcade game as well as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade games because those are really good instant classic arcade games though. But then I was looking at it, I was like, I'm seeing some Simpsons episodes here and there, but not like a good chunk of them because man, the series right now is like, like 700 something episodes. So I was like, you know what? Let's just sit down and actually go through and watch all these Simpsons episodes. Yes, it's going to be like a slow burn grind to do all of them, though. But I was like, I got the time. I could potentially make it through all of them, though. So I started off with season one. I'm done with season one. I am I think I'm midway through season two right now, though. But yeah, so honestly, it's been, it's been a pretty good, fun little watch. I think that like one of the funniest episodes I thought... Uh, I mean, there, there's been a good handful of funny ones, but one that actually stood out for me was like, there was like one time when Bart was doing like a foreign exchange student kind of thing, because, you know, Bart's bad behavior in school and whatnot, though. So they literally sent him to France and they sent somebody else from one of those other European countries here to the U.S., though. And he was being taken care of by these like two adult men who literally was like treating him like a slave, let's be honest, though, like barely feeding him, making him sleep in like a like on a, like a bell of hay. Well, no, not even on the bell of hay because literally like the horse or something laying on that. So literally had to lay on the floor or whatnot though. They had him over there picking grapes, crunching them with his bare feet, making wine or whatnot though. And they were trying to make some 
they're trying to make some decent cheap wine really fast. <laughs> and here's the kicker. They're like, you know what? We need to put something in this wine to make it uh give it a little kick. And they poured some antifreeze up in there. I was like, what the heck? Like that itself was crazy. Like making this boot oh bootleg wine over here, pouring antifreeze up in there. You pour too much and it'll kill somebody. I was like, what the heck? Oh shoot, but that just stood out. That was pretty funny though. But yeah, that was one of the things I, I watched. And literally, since it is October now, we're in the midst of the spooky season. There's going to be a, a couple or a few things I'm probably going to watch off of uh, Disney Plus. Because I know, like, one is like, I think they have like one Simpsons special thing that's kind of related to Halloween and whatnot, though. I do know that they have like a couple other shows on Disney Plus, like Hocus Pocus. They went and really, um, they released a new movie for that one, though. So I was like, I might sit down and watch that. Obviously, there's like a whole bunch of other traditional Halloween movies, like, for example, like Charlie Brown and The Great Pumpkin. I might sit down and watch that. And then, um, and I know one that's like the big one, because I think it literally comes out, I want to say this Friday, actually, um, from Marvel Studios, Werewolf by Night, I think is what it's called or whatever, though. And somehow it's supposed to tie into the MCU, but I'm thinking if it does, it's going to be probably related to blade since blade's like a vampire hunter or whatnot though i'm thinking it might make its eventual ties into that we kind of got teased a little bit on that at the very end of eternals that's where i'm thinking they're gonna drift it into though but almost all in itself is it's just gonna be like a fun kind of classic-y because i got like black and white tones up in the movie and whatnot though so yes i think that's supposed to come out this week so i probably have some thoughts on it coming out on the next podcast episode so i am looking forward to that so there's quite a bit of different halloween-ish shows that i'm planning on watching and as i have these different podcast episodes uh i'll let you know what i've been kind of going through and watching well yeah because literally yeah because i got one on the second ideally i'll have one on the 16th and one on the 30th so you'll hear me maybe twice more in the month of october talk about the different spooky shows and whatnot though that i might have been going through and watching though but yeah, that's basically it in terms of all of the stuff that I've been currently watching. Though. So now with all of that out the way, let's go ahead and jump up into the one last major segment that I got for y'all tonight. That being uh, what you've been playing. Alrighty. And last but not least, I want to talk about Splatoon 3 and my review for that game. Because literally, this game came out basically early September. Early September. September 9th, I think, is when that game actually launched for us. And I got some thoughts. Because literally, it's been out for a little over three weeks. A little over three weeks. So I was like, okay, this game is freaking phenomenal. And I do not understand why on earth people did not understand the basic concept of what a sequel is supposed to be. Because for a lot of people outside looking in, they look at Splatoon 2, it was like, oh, okay, that's Splatoon 2 on the Switch. They look at Splatoon 3, it's like, ain't that just Splatoon 2? Couldn't you just do that as an update? No, they had a lot of different groundbreaking fundamental changes that they did within 2, from, from 2 to 3, that you couldn't just simply do in an update, though. Literally, and I guess in terms of review, let, let me talk about it within each little different segment, though. Uh, let's talk about the single player first, and then we'll work our way to talking about the other two modes. So the single player mode, which they didn't talk about too much about it in terms of the lead up or build up to 
um, Splatoon 3's launch. I know a lot of people were like, man, why am I showing the Splatoon 3 single player mode? Literally, for the hardcore people that put a lot of time into Splatoon 3, let's say if someone plays Splatoon 3 for about a few hundred hours, the story mode is literally only worth, even if you 100% it, like literally like five hours worth of your time. It's literally a drip in the bu bucket for that. So I feel like you could show off a little bit of it, but you didn't want to show off too much. Like they showed a little bit off in the treehouse. So I was like, okay, you kind of got a feel for it. It's kind of in between the feeling of the Splatoon 2's main story and Octo Expansion, which Octo Expansion is still one of the best uh, single player campaigns, at least in Splatoon, or should I say one of the best DLCs ever that I really have played. You didn't want to show too much of it. You just want to lay down the basic groundwork, the basic plot, and then just let us get our hands on it, though. I really did like how it was kind of more mission-based. That was kind of akin or similar to Octo um, Expansion, though. I did like that and how it wasn't super basic, like how it wasn't within the Splatoon 2's main story campaign. But they allow you to choose different weapons. You have to spend a little bit of currency to get into certain other levels, though. Some levels are really quick. Some levels challenge you where you can only use a sub-weapon, only use a main weapon. There's literally like a what uh, a level that only let you use um, a special weapon like that Spider-Man one, the Tetragram one. I mean, they had some very different, interesting level layouts and whatnot, though. I haven't gone through in 100% of everything yet, but I did enough to where I was able to start it and then basically end the story and whatnot, though. At some other later point, I probably will go back and actually try to 100% everything, because there is a, a bonus level that pops up if you manage to go through and beat every single other level. And I heard it's like, it's almost akin to the Super Mario Brothers, um, I mean, Mario Galaxy 2's final run. It's something crazy like that, where there's not a lot of checkpoints in between, though. It's not as insane as that, but it got some parallels and whatnot um, compared to that, though. But honestly, man, that finale of Splatoon 3, I won't spoil anything, though. It was freaking phenomenal. It answers some things that they kind of laid out within Splatoon 2. If you kind of maybe sort of kind of catching my drift with, with some jobs and whatnot, though. That's all I was saying on that, though. But honestly, it felt like a really good campaign. It didn't overstay its welcome. It was kind of snappy. Each level taking about maybe three minutes to beat. If it was one that you're struggling, no more than five. So I thought it was a pretty good balance of everything like that. So here's hoping... Whenever they add the, the DLC expansion for like another single player campaign, probably a year from now or whatnot, though, that should feature around Pearl and Marina, though. Hopefully it's something more akin to Octo Expansion, because at least by that point, people are pretty good veterans at this game. They want something a little more challenging. So give us something on the levels of Octo Expansion for that one, though. So that's basically it in terms of the single player campaign stuff. Now, let's go ahead and talk about Salmon Run. The Salmon Run has definitely gotten a major upgrade. It had mostly pretty much all of the same boss salmon heads as the previous um, Splatoon 2 version of Salmon Run. However, they added new ones, like they added the dolphin, um, they added the big shot user, um, they added, and they added like a couple of more that are just not coming to my mind <laughs> right here at this moment though. But the biggest new one that they added was the Koho Zuna, which literally pops out Every, you know, uh, it depends because there's a little Koazuna meter that's like to the right hand side of your screen whenever you're playing Salmon Run matches and you're back in the lobby area. Once that meter gets full, there's a chance of it actually showing up depending on who your other teammates are. If their meters are kind of getting close to full as well. And literally that allows you if you, you know, you beat your first wave one, wave two, wave three, you get to your final wave and it's like, oh, OK. 
you think you're done. It's like, oh, no, here comes the big one. Here comes, grab, grab your wife, grab your kids, um, call the cops. Here comes the coho zuna. And, um, man, because literally the ejector changes. Instead of you collecting eggs and whatnot, though, you literally have to launch them at him, not drop them off in the basket, though. So it's a nice little interesting spin. I do love the fact that they allow you to actually chunk eggs. So there's, like, different challenges. Like, there's, like, one where you would think the egg basket would, during, like, low tide, is usually kind of closer down towards the water, far away from your original home base compared to, like, high tide. And you think you would throw the eggs in there, but no, you literally have to throw it all the way back at your original home base. So you literally have to, it encourages you to toss the eggs back and forth between your teammates, picking them all the way up down by the shore, running them all the way up to the main basket, though. I do like the fact how you can chunk those eggs, so that way you don't have to get super close um, to your baskets, though. Yeah, uh, fish sticks. Fish sticks was another um, one right there, though. But the one thing I say that's negative with Salmon Run in comparison to Splatoon 2, whole freaking shoot the knock back up in this system, though. Oh, my gosh. Literally, in Splatoon 2, they could hit you with a frying pan, but it barely pushed you a little bit. No, when you get hit by them frying pans from the, from the stinking fly fish and whatnot, though, or any kind of those um, salmon eggs on the map, the knock back is real. We're talking about pushing you really far out because there's one mode, the, the fireflies mode, it was super easy in Splatoon 2. All you do is get to a little high point that's kind of near your egg basket. You just shoot, they die. There's a little bit of calm. You grab your eggs, you get back on the base and repeat. No, in this one, they'll send it in droves and they hit you hard enough where you fall off the edge and then boom, you get ambushed and whatnot though. What the actual heck? And then the most annoying uh, other salmonids are the ones from Splatoon 2. Being one being the stingray one, which doesn't bother me too much, it bothers some people. But sneaking fly fish up in this mode, like, whole freaking shoot, man, I'm like, that is crazy. And if you manage to progress yourself all the way up to professional, and it's like professional one, two, and three, and then there's um, and then there's a mode above professional three, it's like executive VP or something like that. That mode right there is a abysmal because they hit you with so many different salmonids i literally had some um matches with some of my friends where there's so many boss salmonids regular salmonids on on the field and whatnot though the game will start lagging like i feel like there might be some ways that they might be able to optimize this a little bit better but then there's other parts where i'm like i just don't know maybe we'll get better iterations of salmon run within like splatoon 4 in the future though but I don't know. There's still time for them to fix and do all of that kind of mess and whatnot, though. So I was like, okay. So Samurai, it is fun, but it it is crazy compared to the original Splatoon 2. Like, they definitely did beat this up for better or for worse, though. I don't know. Maybe they'll do a little couple more update patches or whatnot, though, to kind of balance out all this stuff, though. Because literally trying to beat the king while you're on Professional 3 or Executive VP, it's almost nearly impossible. And you need to grind those fish scales out to get, like, better gear. Like, you can get, like, additional suits. Like, instead of wearing the orange suit, you can wear, like, the green, the yellow. There's a blue and a black suit and whatnot, though. So, yeah. So, you kind of have to grind out those fish scales, though. But I think that's literally everything I have to say on Salmon Run. We do know that there's going to be a, a big wave or like that special way that comes every three months where they do salmon run on actual one of the regular Splatoon multiplayer maps. We have yet to see that. So I'll probably will likely talk about that within a podcast episode. Once that actually happens, we probably won't expect to see that until the end of this current season. So once 
we hit the very tail of November, that's when we could basically expect it right around December, right around that holiday time. So yeah, so honestly, some really good stuff. Now that's basically it for Salmon Run. Last but not least, the last major thing is your multiplayer modes, your Turf War and your Rank modes. Turf War is still Turf War at the very end of the day. That feels all right. Nothing really kind of changed too much though. But with Splatoon 3 and the Rank modes, Tower Control and Splat Zones have basically remained the same in terms of their in terms of their rule set and whatnot, though. But the two that changed was Clan Blitz and Rainmaker. Clan Blitz, instead of you having 10 clans in order to get a football, it's now reduced to eight. Instead of the clans popping up in squads of four on the map, they pop up in squads of three. And you can see the overtime, and this overtime meter applies to basically all the rank modes, though. But they show an overtime meter at the very center of your map, so that way you know exactly how much time you have left um, in terms of your overtime possession and whatnot, though. So the combination of all of that, oh, and you can have a football jump back to your base and it not destroy itself. The combination of all of this stuff has made Clan Blitz a much more rapid pace um, game in terms of, you know, just getting the footballs, charging up, shooting them in the goal and whatnot, though. It makes the game a lot, increases the pace of the game a whole lot more. And, and that way, I kind of prefer Salmon Run and Splatoon 3 in comparison to Splatoon 2, because Splatoon 2, you would have got like a decent lead. You probably would have camped it out and tried to end the game like that. No, you can swing these kind of games drastically really fast, though. So that's how Clan Blitz kind of how, how it changed. Now, Rainmaker, though. Rainmaker's really cool because of the fact that now they added checkpoints. Kind of similar to how you have checkpoints when in Tower Control, you have checkpoints in Rainmaker where you literally have to land the Rainmaker on that one part of the base before you can push it any further. You can go past that point, but it's not going to give you any more points until you get the checkpoint, though. This kind of keeps people from going through and completely sweeping the team on Rainmaker, which you are technically able to do in Splatoon 2, kind of like how you could sweep somebody with Tower Control in Splatoon 1 because there was no checkpoints for Tower Control in Splatoon 1. So with that kind of inclusion in there, it actually makes it a little better in terms of your defensive play, how you want to set up. Because some maps only have one checkpoint. Some maps have two checkpoints where you can literally take option A, go one way, or option B, go another way. So it literally leaves you when you're on the defensive end when another team is pushing. It literally has to keep your head on a swivel because you don't know exactly which way they're going to go via option A or option B. So it adds a little bit more strategy within Rainmaker until like one of them clears it and then they're just going to come back to your final window. So you literally got like two points of um, defending and two points of attacking that you basically have to do within Rainmaker though. So honestly, overall, I like these new iteration changes for rank mode and stuff. I did like the basic core fundamental things. Like they took out, you know, main power up, which I kind of missed that. But in other ways, I kind of don't because I hate those squiffers that had main power up stacked in Splatoon 2 and they're literally shooting like snipers, but with quick uh, with quick charge time and whatnot though. So in that regard, I'm glad it's gone, but kind of hate how it's gone for the weapons I used to use in that game though. But the fact that you have squid roll, squid roll is absolutely freaking amazing you can do that to kind of avoid getting hit by bombs or regular attacks and whatnot though i think in terms of the specials i think one of my favorite ones right now i would have to say it well if i were to say a new one i mean i use the big wave or not big wave um the the 
the squid beacon I usually use or not wait am I saying that right I said squid beacon no I usually use the wave breaker there we go I usually use the wave breaker quite a bit because it's attached to one of my main weapons being the heavy splatlin so that's one I commonly use a lot though but I think another cool one is Trizuka. As long as you're shooting them enemies and they ain't shooting you, Trizuka is actually a really good one. Reslider, oh, I was like, oh, I think that one's okay-ish. It's literally the splashdown substitute for it, which I'm like, oh, okay, though. But I mean, but if they're not on level playing field with you in terms of, you know, you launching it, running across the ground with it, I mean, it, it, it's a double-edged sword. It can be really favorable or it may not be super favorable or whatnot, though. And uh, I know there's a couple of other ones, though, but those are the ones that stick out the most. Obviously, you have returning specials like your Booyah Bomb, your Ink Jet special, and yes, those dreaded Tenon Missiles, though. I feel like out of all the ones, I was like, man, why in the world you got to take away um, Tenon Missiles and stuff like that? I was like, come on. Man. I mean, why didn't you take away its Tenon Missiles? I'm like, ugh. But anyway, though, so obviously the specials and stuff, that feels really good. So at the core, it feels like Splatoon, but with the extra traversal you have with the squid roll and the squid surges and whatnot, though, I think it's really stinking nice, though. Now, the last little thing is literally your um, Splatfest, which right now we had the uh, we had the first Splatfest being like the demo-ish for the game. That was before Splatoon 3 launched. And we had the second Splatfest. First one was Rock, Paper, Scissors during the demo. The second one was literally either Team Fun, Team Grub, or Team Gear. And I hate how literally me and my pal Bronto in both the Splatfest on Team Scissors on one and Team Fun on the other, we were both in the lead on both of those two, on those both, um, those two Splatfests. And somehow when we're out in the lead, everybody gangs up on us thanks to those tricolor splat wars, or tricolor splat wars, tricolor turf wars. And we somehow sink back down into second place. It was really close within this past Splatfest. Literally, Team Gear won the popular vote, but Team Fun got the um, the conch shells, the most conch shells collected pre-Splatfest weekend. So we we're even on that. However, we won the pro um, won the pro vote, so we won the most pro matches, whatnot though. But Team Gear won the the vote for Splat um Splat Turf War Open, which is worth fifteen points. Pro was worth ten. The Conchels was worth ten, and the popular vote was worth ten. Hence, they won twenty five points to our twenty points. It was that thinking close. I'm like, what the actual heck? I feel like literally. The open category is the most important one because if you can win the open category, and obviously if you won the popular vote, it's it. That's done. It's a wrap. So I'm like, mm, okay, though. So literally, those votes can literally swing anyway while you're doing all of this stuff, though. So honestly, the Tricolor Turf Wars, I feel like, is the most challenging thing because with Tricolor Splat Wars, you have like the people sitting there in the dead center of the map, right? And you got two people approaching from either side. And I feel like literally if they get the, the beacon thing in the center and activate like one of the mega sprinklers, it's almost the game is almost over, especially if they activate two of those things or if all three of them are activated. Good luck, because I don't think you're actually going to win the thing at all, though. And I felt like they kind of made some adjustments so far, like they they made those modes happen 
very or not as frequent as what they were in the demo. Because literally out of that whole time I was playing during the uh, Tricolor Splatfest part, I think it only happened, I only got to play it like almost six or seven times. And that was it. That was it for me. So they definitely reduced it. So maybe it gave us a little more of a chance with Team Phone though, but it was still kind of difficult nonetheless though. But honestly, it's kind of I'm kind of curious to see exactly how far they're going to take it, you know, with the different changes or different tweaks that they might possibly put up um, in the game itself, though. So, I don't know. But basically, I think that's almost all I had to say within um, my review of Splatoon 3. There's a lot more I possibly could say about it, though, but I don't want to, you know, overdo it because I've been talking about this game on and off quite often with the demo and stuff the Splatoon 3 Direct that we got. So a lot of my information is kind of already out there in some way, but I did want to kind of give y'all my overall thoughts and impressions on the game thus far, three weeks into the game. Obviously, this is going to change. I'll come back to it and talk about it with different stuff, um, whether it be through the updates that we get on the tail end of the seasons, because there is like a battle pass kind of thing. Though I didn't even talk about the the table turf, um, the, ta the table turf game, which was a new mode they added up in here though which seems nice. I just had not put a lot of time up into it. Maybe I will once I kind of get fully accumulated. Accu once I get fully um, used to the way how the multiplayer games work with that, trying to set up my gear and all of that stuff. But yeah, that's basically my review on it. Of course, I'll go back and touch on it when we get more updates and stuff in the future though. But I believe that's going to basically do it in terms of Splatoon 3 review because this game is definitely going to be different every time, every three months when we get an update. And what we got right now, when I'm giving this review now, is going to be totally different from the Splatoon 3 of what we'll have from now, two years from now, in the year of literally 2024, September of 2024, because we're going to get two years of support on this, though. But yeah, so that's basically going to do it in terms of that, though. And honestly, that will basically do it in terms of my Zarcast episode 42, though. So quite a bit of stuff, um, not a whole, whole bunch that happened within the past couple of weeks, though, but just some major topics, like the Google Stadia shutting down and whatnot, though, like things that we kind of potentially saw coming, but didn't think that it was going to happen at least this quick, or maybe some people might have thought about it coming this quick, though, but yeah, it, it is what it is, though, but that's basically going to do it in terms of Marzarkas episode 22. Now, for all y'all that are watching this here live on YouTube, though, make sure to go ahead and hit that like button. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button and that bell. That way you don't miss any of my other future videos or my future podcast episodes. If you happen to be watching this a little later after the fact, whether it be on my podcast servers, whether that be Google, Apple, Spotify, or even Amazon Music, just a reminder, I usually go live with these every Sunday night, every other Sunday night, because this is a bi-weekly podcast, usually happening around 9 p.m. Central Standard Time now down in the description box down below or in the show notes you can find links to my different social media outlets because i use i have a zarcast twitter account that kind of keeps you in the loop and the know-how when i might go live if there's a delay any kind of information with that kind of teases what i might be talking about in these podcast episodes make sure to follow that account and i can keep you all up to date on that though but that's going to do it for this video though so uh remember y'all until the next video i make until my zarcast episode 43 i'll see y'all later